Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 41, Sonics Aircraft, their update for 2018. Sonics Aircraft has seen growth and changes over the past several months, and we thought it might be a good time to invite the factory to give us an update on what the company is up to, uh, projects and priorities, and the future of Sonics Aircraft with John Monette's upcoming retirement. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonics 1374. Joining me are my two good friends, Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, how you doing? Doing well, buddy. Doing well. Good. Good. And John Gillis. John is best known for his custom touches to his YX, including his speed cowl, his tilt-back canopy, and tow brakes. So, John, we're going to have to add a B-model conversion to that list uh, pretty soon, right? Yeah, in fact, I just got my um, <clears throat> my confirmation order from Sonics. Um, had to swallow hard and say yes, place the order. So I'm in the queue. Good. What do you think the uh, delivery time is going to be? Well, I'll let uh, Mark deal with that, but uh, um, hopefully before Christmas. Nice, nice. That'll give you a good winter project. That's what I'm hoping for. So as John alluded to, joining us is Mark Shabel. He's the general manager of Sonics Aircraft. Mark wears many different hats at Sonics, including working on some of the really exciting stuff in expanding the fleet of subsonics kits, working with UAV and partners, and uh, all the other day-to-day business that Sonics is going on. Mark, thanks for taking some time to answer a few questions. We get asked a lot of these things, and um, it's always good to hear the factory's perspective. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. And yes, John, uh, I, I'm very confident you'll have your conversion kit before Christmas. Good. Um, Mark, I understand there are several things that are kind of cooking in the background, such as uh, the work you're doing with uh, other partners like your UAV partners, um, projects that maybe you're not ready to announce publicly and uh, specific details you just can't get into. Um, I understand sort of ground rules for this. We will try to stay out of those areas that are not ready for open discussion, and we'll let you just sort of give us an update as you see fit. Yeah, well, like I said, ask any question you want. If I can't talk about it, I'll tell you I'll tell you that I can't and maybe even why. <laughs> just plead the fifth. Plead the fifth, yes. Plead I'm sorry, fifth. Senator, I do not recall. Yes, <laughs> I have no recollection of that event. <laughs> well, good. Uh, I guess maybe to kick this off, Tell us how AirVenture went for Sonics. Really well. Um, one of the best AirVentures ever, and I, you know, maybe we say that every year. I don't remember to have to look, but uh, honestly, uh, really, really good. Um, and from a business perspective, um, we are booked like you wouldn't believe. Um, I seem to agree with you, Mark. It seems as if uh, I think I'm getting the general undertone as well that that the general aviation aspect of it, particularly in kit aircraft, is just continuing to, to increase and move along and gain momentum. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, we never know where we are um, positioned to the rest of the relative market 
Um, exactly, because I know we all talk to each other in the aircraft kit industry. We even have an association with that name, and I'm even running it at the current time. But you know, we talk and we know each other, uh, Sebastian and and uh, Randy and John McBean and, and all of us. We talk, but uh, you know, no one is really forthcoming with how much business they're 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 exactly doing. Um, and, and you know, you always have to ask yourself as a business, well. You know, we're experiencing what we're experiencing right now, whether it be up or down as a as a state of the general market, or is it something we're doing, something we could be doing better, something we are doing really well. Um, we're always examining that and looking for areas to improve. And uh, I got to say, I don't know if it's, um, uh, well, I'm sure it's, it's the it's the comeback in the economy uh, that we're all feeling right now, and uh, and just what we've been doing for all this time, um, and you know things feel like they're really uh, coming back, uh, feeling good, uh, like they have probably not since um, several years ago. So um, we are uh, very very booked uh, in the quick build department, uh, which is a great problem to have. Um, we're booked out into early. Uh, 2019 on QuickBook Quick Build deliveries. We're actually in the process of adding up all the man hours and the available staff hours, and you know just how long will it take us to deliver X, Y, and Z person's kit? And uh, that's that's the work we're going through right now post show. And like I said, it's a it's a great problem to have. Um, and and also non Quick Build kit orders. We've got a ton of them, and um, I just couldn't be more pleased right now. So, Mark, as of right now, August 2018, you just talked about the lead time for quick builds, but just general lead times. Are they are they good? Are they short? Can you ship kits and, and subcomponents from inventory? Or is there still a pretty significant lead time while you get everything ready? Well, there's always a lead time, even when it's a slower time of year, because although we stock inventory to serve um, people with um, immediate needs uh, when it comes to service parts and such, um, we we always in ter- when, ter- when, it, when it comes to full kit orders, um, we, we do plan them uh, to a schedule and bring in inventory um, to serve kit orders, um, so so that we don't have too much money tied up in inventory at any given time. Um, so whereas normally I would tell somebody, let's say in January um, or February, uh, on a typical year that are you know let's say a full. You know, complete airframe kit for a Sonics B would be, let's say, four to six weeks. Um, right now, I'd say we're probably about eight to ten weeks, um, especially any new orders coming in on top of what we already have. Um, I would say closer to ten weeks. Um, and, you know, that's uh, just part of planning. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, it's interesting, unless you've taken a tour of our factory and I don't think people even realize when they do tour the factory with five different aircraft models, there's so many different combinations of parts um, that uh, we might have most of a kit of a certain type at any given time, but maybe not all of it. And there might be some large bulky items that are expensive to ship that are coming in a little more just in time. Um, and so that's part of that scheduling. And a good example of that is like, you know, cowlings and, uh, and even motor mounts where we try not to overinvest in those items, um, and, and have them flow in for the manufacturer on a more, uh, manufacturers on a more as needed basis. Mark, are you holding those orders until everything is is shippable, or are you going to ship out partial kits? 
We typically don't ship out partial kits um, unless somebody actually orders them as a sub kit. Um, you know, if someone does a, a, a tail kit and then a kit minus tail package, or let's say somebody orders a quick build kit and they want to spend the extra shipping dollar to get their tail kit in advance, uh, that's very common so that people can start working on it. Um, and um, But no, I mean, our, our lead time, even at eight to 10 weeks, is within a uh, what we feel is a very acceptable range in, in, as the industry goes. Um, I know some kit manufacturers, or you know, we hear feedback from customers all the time that some other kit manufacturers, just as a standard, uh, have even longer lead times than that. So um, I don't feel we're in a bad place with lead time. I always want to under-promise and over-deliver when it comes to lead time as much as possible. Um, but no, uh, short answer, no. You know, we... Um, we do cover backorder shipping when we do decide to ship something with backorders. And economically, I mean, if there's major parts um, backordered that are large and therefore expensive to ship, uh, we're, we're going to hold the kit uh, for something like that to come in. Are you say, able to say about how many kits you might ship out a week or, or a month? Or? Um, well, you know, I would say... Um, Right now, with the current order book, my goal um, in terms of filling the orders in a timely manner, and a lot of this relies depends on our vendors, um, is uh, is something in the range of uh, three to four kits a week. Oh, um, that is pretty good, and that's 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 um, one for our staff, um, uh, a very quick pace, and also for our vendors. And so that's you know where, you know you got to everyone has to realize that, you know. Not only are we recovering from um, slower economic conditions in past years and even months, our vendors are as well. So it's not an immediate flip the switch uh, ramp up, and, um, and you know our vendors have to have um, have to um, pace their business and uh, and their staffing and everything to be appropriate to what they're bringing in. Uh, and so, um, you know, we can't just, uh, say, Hey, you know, uh, all this good news, we got all these orders and we need everything next week. Um, that's just not going to happen. Well, I think just the, the physical aspect of, of just collating all the parts and wrapping them and packaging them and creating them, uh, that kind of, uh, pace is, is really still pretty good. It is. Yeah. And we've got it down to a, to a relative science. Um, you know, we've been at it long enough and uh, many of you may know that, uh, you know, that's kind of my, my, one of my first jobs at Sonics was managing the warehouse and, and pa- packing all the kits. And, um, you know, back in the, uh, I would say in the post 2008 economic crash, uh, heyday, um, you know, we were in, let's say, well, even 2003, 2004 timeframe, uh, we were shipping, um, about four kits a week. Uh, and that was with me and, as a full-timer and, and a few part-timers, um, usually about two part-timers. Um, and, and with what our vendors could, could deliver, we were, we were at absolute max capacity at that time. And, uh, and we, were, we were sort of ramped up. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge undertaking. And now the kits uh, have way more parts uh, that we provide um, versus what we used to provide back in the day. And uh, especially when you consider manufactured parts versus raw material, which of course is easier to come up with uh, quicker. Um, I got to really hand it to Steve Severson, our warehouse and purchasing manager. He does an absolute fantastic job. And um, 
um, you know, he's got, we've got a full-timer helping him. Um, um, Clint, Clint does a, a really good job. And, uh, you know, right now it's just a shop of two. Um, and uh, I don't know if things continue. We, we may be adding to the warehouse staff, but we're always, uh, as, as many know, you know, we're, we're always um, trying to stay lean, uh, trying to keep the staff size uh, manageable so that we can survive ups and downs in the marketplace um, without having to give give anybody on our staff the bad news that hey we don't we don't want you to come into work tomorrow. Mark, um, when I got my kit several years ago, uh, I think I waited probably around three months to get that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think if you're at eight to ten weeks currently, I think that's a great a pace to keep up. That's a great improvement. And from a customer's perspective. Um, if your projections are accurate, people can plan for them. I think the real frustration is when you say it's only going to be eight weeks and then it drags on to, you know, 12, 16 weeks, stuff like that. Absolutely. I'm always, uh, like I said, I'm always about under-promising and over-delivering. Uh, even if it means that, you know, sometimes you run the danger of turning a sale away um, for someone who says, ah, I can't wait that long. You know, the real educated consumer says, wow, that's really great that you're doing that well. And, um you know, with respect to um, the lifespan of this entire project that I'm undertaking, uh, I can, I can, I've, I've, I've taken long enough to make the decision. I can, I can wait that lead time and, and get the kit. Well, Mark, I, I want to throw the big question out there that's on everybody's mind. Um, with John's announcing his upcoming retirement, uh, what is the future of Sonic's aircraft? What is the transition plan? What can you tell us? Well, um, there's not a whole lot I can tell you. Um, because it's all a lot of confidential things going on. But I can tell you that um, uh, if we have our way, uh, the future is incredibly bright. Um, as I just kind of, we spent the last few minutes talking about the condition of the company at this point is extremely good. And um, that puts us in a better position than ever to transition it. Um, and, um, and, and we want to keep um, everybody else involved and uh, and our plan um includes that and um uh i'm really excited uh, i'm really excited about uh, some of the things uh the direction that we're trying to take it and um like i said i can't i can't really get into it um and i apologize for that but um you know it's just one of those things when you're trying to transition a business there's there's non-disclosure agreements in place and everything else Really, uh, really excited. I can't stress that enough. And uh, and the future is bright. Uh, we've got a lot of ideas, a lot of things we'd like to do, a lot of places we'd like to go with the company, and um, uh, while while at the same time serving the core market, of course. And um, I feel really good about it. So um, there are rumors flying around that uh, Sonics is going to be sold to the Chinese. Uh, do you see that happening? No. Absolutely not. Um, we have, uh, as as you know, we've we've got uh, Francis Chow of Uniworld LLC, who is uh, sort of our, well, is our dealer for China. He's brought some small businesses to us and some big businesses to us, all wanting to do stuff in China with Sonics. And uh, the reason we have Francis is that we trust him, and we trust it, you know, based on his experience and background. In our relationship with him over the last several years, his biggest job for us is to vet people. And uh, he knows that we do not want to be owned by a Chinese entity. Um, we get 
people who, who say that they want to come in and, and do that. And usually, um, a lot of times it has to do with, um, with uh, acquiring land in China. Um, so a lot of times, Chinese investors are only buying an American business because um, getting into a large acquisition like that is the only way that they can get the government to, to uh, sell them land. And that a lot of times they want to develop that land for things relatively, totally unrelated to what uh, they might be acquiring your business for. Um, so there's a lot of risk in China in the business uh, place. Um, we always uh, keep our expectations about sales to China extremely low. Um, and that's pretty much been how it's turned out. Um, you know, everyone talks about the opening of the Chinese airspace, and I'm sure we'll get there. I just don't know how big the market will be. Um, there is traction being made about allowing kit aircraft in China, which right now there is no formal um, uh, CAAC, which is the Chinese version of the FAA, there is no formal CAAC regulations allowing home-built aircraft in China, but uh, we all know it is going on. It's going on under the radar. And uh, we've even sold some kits to China. And, you know, that's not really my responsibility to uh, make sure that a customer in any given country has, uh, has the authority uh, from their government to build a Sonics. Um, and, uh, you know, People are getting away with it in China, and uh, and and the CAC, the Chinese government, knows it, and they want to find the path to make it legal. And they're basically going to use all the FAA experimental amateur boat rules as boilerplate. And so those wheels are in motion. Um, but I, you know, we have no interest in being owned by the Chinese. Um, it's but it a very the twenty or thirty year project, though. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we also have to be very careful with our business dealings with respect to um, uh, China and our UAV business, um, because that's far more important to us than selling to China. And, uh, you know, if we're selling for government contracts and uh, DOD, obviously, we we cannot have um, formal uh, links to China other than just a, a basic sales representation. What will John's role uh, going forward be? Will he stay involved in R&D or anything like that? Yes, his desire is to stay involved in R&D for as long as he is able and uh, obviously retains the desire to do so. Um, and, uh, and, and our plan is to uh, make it so that he can. Um, and uh, that's, what he, that's his passion. That's what he loves to do. Uh, he is not about... Um, managing a business he's not about uh, selling things he's not he's not into a lot of areas of of, of what it takes to run sonics uh, that's not what he loves that what he loves is uh, is designing and coming up with new things and doing r&d so mark how would you characterize the the company's current focus what are you guys working on uh well i, I would just say um Working on the current product line, working on new products um, in the traditional market, uh, which is you guys, and obviously expanding the UAV market, um, looking at expanding into some other markets as well uh, with our business uh, capabilities. Um, I can't get more specific than that, uh, though. I mean, I just can't. But yes, ex expanding into other places where it makes sense. A lot of it is... Um, 
uh, sort of uh, low-hanging fruit. In other words, some natural next steps um, for uh, for the business to to grow and and continue to diversify. I mean, you know, if we want to stay healthy and be even stronger than we are today, uh, which benefits everybody uh, when it comes to the kit builder, it means that they're going to get you know probably shorter lead times on parts and kits and better customer service because maybe we'll be able to afford to have more employees to fill your orders quick more quickly and and get you quicker responses on tech support and things like that. All of that takes the company making more revenue and um, diversification is the safest way to do that. Um, you know, the kit aircraft market is not expanding, um, uh, at least not exponentially. So if we're going to continue to grow and become a stronger company, it's going to take uh, diversification. And of course, that makes things safer for us as a company. Um, there's always, um, when you're in several market sectors, um, you know, typically you have one that's stronger than the others at any given time. And that's, what's, that's what gets you through a certain period of time. And um, I'll give you a good example of that would be our, our partner in the UAV business would be Navmar Applied Sciences Corp or NASC, as you see on our website on sonicsaerospace.com uh, and so forth. Um, they're, they're, half of their business is anti-submarine warfare technology. So they do um, you know, sauna buoys for P3s and P8s, and they even have some equipment in the SOSIS network and things like that. And the other, the other half of their business is UAVs. And there have been times when the UAV business has uh, brought home the bacon, and there's been times when the other half of the business has been carrying everything. And um, so that's really important to me as a business strategy that we uh, that we have that sort of diversification, and, and um, the stronger parts of the business can can prop up the the weaker markets and uh, allow them to keep operating, and, and uh, uh, for when they do get stronger in the future. So um, back to the the traditional kit side of, of the business. A- any any new plans for uh, refinements that are coming out, or things you're kind of working on, or possibly even new models? Yes. Anything you'd like to talk about? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's been great having you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't can't talk about it. Um, you know, we get asked that question a lot, and uh, the bottom line is, new stuff that we may be working on. I think I touched on this the last time I I, I sat down with you guys. Um, anything, you know, a lot of times we'll have many many ideas all the time. We have many ideas, and 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 we have to go through the process of picking what is going to be the next one that we spend our time and money on. And so I, I hate to talk about, I can't talk about uh, future products uh, or even refinements to a, to a, to a certain, to, to an existing product because I don't, you know, we can't afford as a business to have somebody hold off their purchase plans. Um, if somebody says, I was going to buy a Sonics uh, tomorrow, but I'm going to wait because I heard Mark on the podcast say that uh, they really want to do X. And I'd rather have that. Well, we might decide tomorrow that X is not the project that it's most prudent for us to pursue next. It might get shelved for five years or more. Or, you know, we might pursue it next, but, you know, it it might be a full-on new airframe uh, where it's a full two-plus years to uh, development and fruition. So people spend a lot of time picking out their kid airplane of choice, um, 
they have good choices that we offer them today. Um, if we come out with something that they would like even better in the future, um, you know, if that's like the, uh, you know buying a 2018 Corvette versus buying a 2020 Corvette, let's say, I can't uh, disclose what we may be coming out with in the future. Well, okay, Mark, I'm going to have to put my B model on hold now because I'm <laughs> hearing a C model is here, and no. you're going to give me the first one. You're right. Or at least a B plus model. <laughs> right. There is no B plus. There is no C model. I can tell you that. I can say that some of the major things that we're working on uh, probably will not compete in any way with any of the current products unless you're just really confused about what you want. Which is John. Yeah, you just described me. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is an area where uh, having a short attention span is actually an asset because you get to do a little bit of everything. Right. <laughs> that actually works out great for me at my job, too, because I get to do so many different things that uh, I, I seldom get bored. Mark, I'll just throw out a couple of things. Um, you know, we, we hear people grumble all the time. Um, they want better engine options, you know, firewall forward kits for UL power and Rotax engines. They want... Um, Things like differential brakes and different canopies and all that kind of stuff. Are any of those items on your to-do list? First of all, I'll, I'll start with the last two items. And I know that, you know, John, for instance, you've got that stuff going on. But you also know that it's counter to our philosophies about, about how to build the airplane. You know, we stick to a formula uh, when it comes to things that a Sonics should be and should have. And that's for a reason. Uh, that's what gives you the performance and economy. Not to say that the other things, the other options are wrong, but for the niche that we're going after, uh, we're pretty true to those design philosophies. And we always tell people, finish the airplane per plans, fly it, and then if you want to change something, fine. Um, go ahead and experiment with a change. But I, I, we do not have any, any plans to do that stuff. When it comes to the engines, um, yeah, I would love to see the Rotax and the UL power engines uh, become more prolific in uh, in the builder community for Sonics aircraft. Um, it's one of those things that's going to take time. Firewall forward kits, that's a an interesting, um, I should say, an interesting term. It's not as magic as a lot of people think. Uh, when it comes to the Rotax, for instance, uh, um, you know, there's nothing, you know, we make the motor mount. And we know it'll fit in the cowling. There's nothing else about a Rotax installation that is really all that unique to a Sonics, um, other than prop selection, which we have worked out with Sensenic as well. Especially the Rotax, where there's very minimal and uh, baffling going on. Um, there's such a huge knowledge base out there about Rotax installation. Bottom line is we'd have to do one in-house to come up with a specific firewall forward kit or, or somebody that we really trust would have to do one and we'd have to. Well, I think the, probably the biggest items they'd be looking for, of course, would be the engine mountain cowling. That'd be two things that the average builder doesn't want to tackle. Yep. And we have that. Of course, we've had that with the B models. And then last year or two years ago, no, last year, I think we introduced it for legacy models as well. Um, and then, and then UL power, same story. Um, it's available in the B models, uh, and, and the, uh, the 260 series will use, will fit with a Jabber 2200 motor mount on a legacy airplane. Um, the uh, and I've, as I've said before, when it comes to the UL Power, uh, right now we're relying on the UL Power dealers, uh, KOL and Aviation, uh, Ray and Robert 
um, in Missouri to continue supporting the builders uh, that want to do the installation because they are so proactive with that support. Uh, they've got a really good track record of working with people uh, to get those installations done, especially Ray, you know, because he does the custom motor mounts for people uh, where a kit manufacturer doesn't provide them a motor mount, where, of course, we, we do. But he, he does custom cowlings, custom mounts, Does the will even do the full installation for somebody if they want him to. Um, and so that's there. And of course, someday we, you know, we, we, we also want to do an installation, um, but it's just, you know, with both Rotax, well, uh, let me just say we don't really want to do a Rotax installation because it's not our favorite engine. It's one of those, if you can't beat them, join them things for us. But we, we should ultimately do an installation of each engine in the factory prototype at some point, but it's one of those, um, you know, just not enough hours in the day things. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to get it done and, uh, and maybe have something a little more formal, but it's going to be a while, uh, just because it's, it's a big undertaking and, uh, to change over an existing flying prototype. And we've got a lot of other work on our plate right now. That's a lot more urgent. The, uh, the, the Rotax ULRP and other great engines. A lot of guys still like to stick with the Volkswagen. We know that it's a very simplistic engine. Rel is probably yeah. about as economical as you're ever going to get. But there are still some yeah. people that are really squeamish about trying to assemble one themselves. Would there be possibly yeah. an option for a fully assembled AeroV to come from the factory? I don't know. Um, uh, maybe. Um, I, I, I won't ever, I'll never say never to that one. I know it's not high on John's list. He's never really been interested in doing that. Um, it does change the paradigm, uh, quite a bit for us as a business. Um, because, um, if we deliver crate engines, um, and to people and they bolt them on, uh, they're bolting them on and, and getting them installed and trying to get them running with minimal, uh, previous experience with the engine. What you end up with from a customer support standpoint is somebody sending the whole engine back saying, I can't get it started. Um, obviously, we would do our best to work with them before they go and do that. But that's the kind of, you know, we're, we're taking a situation now where someone's assembling their own engine. They've really gotten their head in, into the project in depth. And so, you know, we can, with our current business model and our current staffing levels, um, support them. Um, but to take something uh, like an engine and have to support it turnkey um, is a real big paradigm shift. And um, uh, like I said, I won't say never. It's an interesting prospect possibly for the future. And I mean, you know, years down the road. Um, but it's nothing that, something that John has never really been interested in doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting idea. And if we grow um, the way I'd like to uh, make us grow uh, over the next three, five, eight years. Uh, uh, then, then that may be a possibility somewhere along that along the line there. Yeah, I just wouldn't see a much difference than than the UL or Jabiru or or even Rotax for that matter of fact. It's, it's already it, basically it is, but it's not our engine. Like for instance, you know, it, when someone has let's say a Jabiru engine and they have a an issue uh, going on internally with the engine and they don't have the expertise to tear it down and fix themselves they'll call us and talk to us about it we'll give our opinion but ultimately the buck stops with jabber or ul power or rotax and they have this they they have to have the infrastructure to then 
support that, resolve that issue with that customer. And uh, it's not it's it's not a small in, undertaking. Um, and so it's uh, you know it takes significant um, uh, resources of some kind or another to do it. Now I know there are some dealers who are more like one man shops, but they have the factory behind them um, to do that. And we're although we're an engine manufacturer, we're also a kit manufacturer and a and a UAV manufacturer and and, and a you know air, experimental aircraft accessories manufacturer. We've got a lot of plates spinning. And uh, and we try to do it efficiently on a small staff scale, appropriate to the to the business. So, uh, like I said, until we can really grow um, staff uh, and and build put that infrastructure in place, it really doesn't fit our business model right now. Mark, uh, just to back up for a second, uh, I want to just clarify what I think I heard you say. A customer right now can order a motor mount a cowling, and you can direct them to a third party that can assist with installing the engine on both Rotax and UL Power. Is that is that basically what I heard you say? Oh, yeah, certainly. And that's what uh, that's what we've said all along, um, you know, that um, especially UL Power, the UL Power dealers here in the U.S. have been, uh, in every case that I've heard from builders, um, even when builders started doing the installation before we had motor mounts and cowlings available, uh, they've been fantastic in supporting builders in getting their installations done. Uh, Rotax, uh, there's a multitude of sources for that information and support, uh, whether you go with uh, Lockwood Aviation or uh, Leading Edge Airfoils or in any number of the other Rotax dealers. There is, uh, I mean, the engine is so prolific. And there is so much info out there, um, whether it be videos or books or, you know, just people online or people you can call with advice. And, uh, and because it's a partially water-cooled engine, it's, uh, it, the, honestly, the installation is very complex, but it is a lot less airframe dependent uh, or, let's say, airframe specific than your typical um, air-cooled engine installation. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's very common, very universal installation support and advice that would apply to just about any airframe you put the engine into. Well, that's good because um, I think people have this sense that they're still waiting uh, for those engines to catch on. And uh, listening to you talk, that's really not the case. That's not a fair way to characterize it. If you want a Rotax or a UL Power, all the pieces that are critical are already in place. Just go ahead and do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I would say that the path of least resistance is certainly, you know, a Jabber 3300 or Aero-V, but it just means you're talking to a different source on some of your support uh, rather than only with Sonics on those other, you know, getting those other two engines installed. I've had some recent experience with UL, and I've been, I've been very pleased with the, with the responses as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they seem to be really great uh, folks, and... Um, you know, I, I really um, refer people to them, um, especially to Ray, um, you know, especially if we've got somebody, let's say, for instance, that wants to do a legacy Sonics install of a um, of their, uh, uh, their 350 series engines where we don't have a motor mount available. Um, I know the Ray will fix them right up. And uh, so it's a really good feeling knowing that, uh, that they're there in that capacity. Good, good. Mark, going back to the Aero-V, uh, can you give us an update on the turbo? 
Yeah, so the turbo uh, cooling system has been working really well. Uh, I wish that we had come to AirVenture with more data. Um, and honestly, we just have not had um, a lot of time to formally record data and do the, the amount of testing that we had hoped. But I can say that in the flights uh, and runs that we've done um, in the summer, um, we're usually having to do it in the middle of something else. Yeah, but um, the, 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 been, it's been working really well. Um, the, the turbocharger in Red One has been healthy, and uh, the cooling system is working as intended. Um, and, and I'm really pleased. Uh, I, w I just wish we had, um, more time. Uh, it's always about more time, uh, more time to put into it. Uh, and, and we'll get there. Um, it, it is coming along, but I, I'm very confident in the quality of the cooling system. It's actually pretty unique. Um, you know, we, you know, we looked for, you know, something off the shelf, you know, you hear you've got, um, you know, a, a turbocharger with a water jacket, which we know is the best way to go. We know there are air-cooled engines out there. We know there are aviation air-cooled installations of turbochargers out there. Although hoping to find an aftermarket off-the-shelf something that uh, that handled an independent water cooling system for a turbocharger, and we couldn't find one. Uh, don't we? Don't know that one exists, as far as we can tell. So we had to design our own. And, um, it, it, pardon the pun, it's pretty cool. Um, it's, um, thermostatically controlled, um, and, uh, you kind of set it and forget it. Um, you know, you put the, put the switch to auto. Uh, we don't even turn the system on until after we pull off the active runway, because as long as oil is flowing through that turbo, uh, the bearing block is staying within the proper temperature range. And we've got the data to show that, um, and, um, flip it on after we turn off the active and, um, shut it down and uh, we can even turn the master off and uh and this will run for usually about 20 minutes and uh shuts itself off when it's done and uh, as the the data that we have out there already shows the graph well you know that's exactly what new data that we've collected uh or at least observed um is supporting as well even in the hotter summer temperatures so uh definitely we've got some summer left i want to get now that air ventures over which is a huge, um, you know, part of our summer in terms of what takes up our time. Um, uh, we, we will, uh, get, um, actually get that turbo heated up and sit there with a clipboard and actually record, uh, temps and times and, uh, get some new, new graph data out there. So Mark, for people who are really just kind of taking a wait and see attitude, uh, what would you, what would you say to them? I, you know, I don't, I, I don't blame them. Uh, I really wish that uh, we did have more out there uh, since we last published our update in the spring. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to make excuses. We just haven't had time. Uh, I want to satisfy those people. And, uh, and I know that a lot of them are, will not be satisfied uh, without data. So uh, uh, I want to get that to them. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to looking at that as well. Well, um, shifting gears to the subsonics. So you, you guys had a great subsonics forum at AirVenture. Lots of interest. It was a packed house. And mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I saw at least one uh, subsonics kit sale happen at the, the forum. Uh, what can mm -hmm. you tell us about the status of the subsonics and, and the, the progress? Well, it is just absolutely taken off. Um, it's it's uh, grown legs, as I like to say. 
Um, it is uh, right now uh, in our financials it is uh, the single most um, revenue generating product um, and um, you know so not not the largest volume but it is a little more expensive product so I mean it's definitely been worthwhile um, you know I remember years ago um, in JSX one's development and when I had a mono wheel and you know there were some off-runway excursions and Jeremy you know basically pleading with John to just drop the whole thing <laughs> and uh, and then you know to look at what it's become with uh, the success of JSX one once we got it on Trigear and just what a sweet flying airplane it actually turned out to be and then JSX two what a fantastic product that that uh, that was developed into and and uh, and then you know what fond memories of Jeremy getting his LOA and just absolutely loving the airplane and now today um, you know we've got some customers out there flying and having a lot of fun having a lot of success with their airplanes and so the wait and see people uh, just like maybe wait and see people with the turbo the wait and see jet people uh, are basically out of excuses and um, so that's what we're seeing right now and uh, now with uh, the the option uh, let's say or the future possibility of uh, of a racing class being set up at Reno for the people who are really adventurous to pylon race with the airplane, maybe even on the Formula One course, which wouldn't that be a hoot? Um, it's uh, just really gaining momentum. Uh, so, yeah, really pleased with where it's at. Um, like all things, we've made little refinements to the airplane. Um, it's uh, being offered, uh, uh, we'll make the announcement soon, but everybody pretty much knows it's being offered with electric flaps now. Um, other little things like gear up locks that have been uh, been asked for by the guys doing a lot of acro um, so that the, the gear doesn't sag out a little bit when you're pulling you know, some G. Um, those are in progress, um, just getting it uh, adapted from prototype to production unit uh, configuration at this point. Uh, good stuff. A lot of good stuff going on. Yeah, there's even a subsonics on my home field as well. Is is yep. that the one that he's uh, marketing that as his show plane for doing aerobatics? Yeah, he does. Uh, air show. Yeah, air show stuff. Tom Larkin. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, uh, he he brought his airplane to AirVenture for the first time this year, and um, he's got a really cool graphics wrap on it. And um, yeah, he's a looking plane. Yeah, he's a great guy. It was my first opportunity to meet him uh, in person, and uh, just as a super nice guy. Uh, we did a we did a really great um, uh, air to air with uh, him and our two factory birds. Uh, got a little three ship formation going, which you can see on our website. And um, uh, yeah, so I uh, wish him a lot of luck in the air show uh, business. He's newer to it than uh, than Bob Carlton. This is the first time he's ever done air shows of any kind, and uh, so he's doing. You know, smaller shows, um, trying to make a name for himself, and I've never gotten got to see his performance. I uh, hope to someday, um, or at least see a, a video of it. But sounds to me like he's doing well with it. Yeah, there was an. Yeah, we're show hoping to see. Here, and he was out flying and making lots of good noise for you. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we're we're hoping to see him and uh, Carlton doing some sort of a two ship show at at Oshkosh sometime in the future. Yeah, um, you know that's uh, that's an interesting idea. Um, 
you know, we've talked about, we've, we've got a number of other people interested in multi-ship, uh, you know, formation teams, if you will. And, um, and so we're, we're sort of waiting to see that happen or, you know, trying to help that along as much as we can. Um, and uh, I know, for instance, we've got a, a group in Chile, um, uh, actually a current customer, one of the kids we're working on now. And, um, you know, he's got buddies, uh, and they're interested in, uh, and they, they run an air show team right now with RVs and, um, and they're interested in transitioning the show to a subsonics, uh, team, uh, show. So uh, we'll see, we'll see uh, how that goes. We've had other people approach us as well. I think I counted six, um, subsonics kits under construction in the workshop. Yep. Does that satisfy all your outstanding orders, or is that just a part of your orders, and you still got to make some more for customers? No, we still have to make some more. Um, so the six that you saw under construction during the show were all, of course, uh, ordered before the show, and we've received more orders uh, at the show or after the show. So well, that's a good uh, problem more, to have. More jets to build. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and... Uh... Just thinking about um, the, uh, I guess the last big piece that we touched on, the the UAV part of the business. Um, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there. You talked about the Taroses, but um, what else is going on? Yeah, so uh, well, the Taros is the biggest thing going on right now. We're actually working on we're under uh, a contract that was awarded this year um, to build two more Taroses. These will be the C model Taros, and um, basically. The uh, the idea is that this is, should be the final configuration of Taros that will be the sort of one size fits all, if you will, for just about any mission you can throw at it, uh, including you know DoD or government work uh, and civilian work. And, and so the concept that NESC has always had with their Tiger Shark uh, that we've adopted with Taros is that they want to provide a dump truck. In other words, they just want to provide a vehicle into which you can put any payload you want. Um, and that um, reduces the amount of um, NRE, which is non-recurring engineering, that you have to do between, uh, between clients, between jobs. And um, uh, basically, you have an air aircraft, a vehicle with the capability to handle just about any mission you throw at it with very little modification. Um, and so that makes it a, uh, easier, um, fit for everybody. Uh, we can provide them quicker, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously an easier sale. So that's, uh, you know, the, the Taros is still in development, if you will. In fact, NASC is still working on flying the first one that we delivered because, um, they bought that from us on, on speculation. In other words, they did not have a paying customer for it yet. And they've had it for, God, three years now. And um, haven't flown it yet because they have to keep pulling people off of it to go pay the bills, um, fulfilling some other contract. So that's been our part of our frustration, certainly at Sonex, is guys, you got to fly this thing if you want to sell them. And um, they uh, they're working, they're getting very close, and hopefully before the end of this year, we'll actually have a flight on the thing. Um, but, uh, we know the Xenos flies, no problem. So it's, it more, has more to do with them than it does with us from that standpoint. And, uh, we know they have really good capabilities of getting these things in the air, uh, with all the Tiger Shark and the other vehicles that they've flown successfully through the years. Um, so the, the new version of the Taros 
is just a little more UAV refined. In other words, it's less of a uh, just grabbing a Xenos, putting it on a tri-gear and putting in, sending it out there, uh, which is what the first Taros really was, um, you know, with some modifications, certainly. This, this uh, new C model uh, basically, you know, gets rid of the turtle deck or short, you know, lowers the turtle deck, gets rid of the canopy for all intents and purposes. So it's got lower frontal area. Um, it's got a uh, 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 different engine configuration and uh, um, uh, it's a higher gross weight. It'll have an 1800 pound gross weight. Um, and um, uh, it's, 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 it's a pretty interesting project. Um, and then from there in the future, the other thing we're looking at, uh, really wanting to do someday in the future is have a turboprop Taros, which would be the, uh, uh, the PBS, uh, turboprop version of the, of the TJ 100 that powers the subsonics. And, uh, and that, that's an interesting prospect as well. Yeah. Any, uh, any interest in the uh, subsonics twin jet UAS concept that you put out there? A lot of I would say initial interest right now, you know, no one's really ready for that at this point. And a lot of it has to do with the maturity of, um, of the Taros program. The Taros is the big task at this point. Um, and, uh, once that's sort of dialed in, we can focus our attention on the next development project. And really it's going to have to do just like when we try to pick which airplane we're going to build next or, produce ne or develop next NASC has to decide what's the next thing on the docket on the idealist that they think has the greatest demand at this point um, the subsonics twin jet idea definitely has some real application um, but um, maybe the volume isn't quite as high so um, it all depends on who calls them next having what demand and how urgent that demand is if uh, you know, especially when it comes to DOD stuff, um, you know, there, there could be one phone call that could change all that. And that might be the thing we work on tomorrow. Right. Well, Kratos has a, a similar product, you know, they, they you, uh, cruise missile simulators and aggressors that they simulate for war games. Right. They've been doing steady business with that type of product. Um, I could see that fitting in real well into that type of scenario. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, um, uh, you know that what they've been doing with the BD-5J for years, um, and um, you know that's certainly um, you know a, a prospect even for subsonics, existing subsonics. Um, but um, um, yeah, again, it just it just has to do. You know, it's a matter of somebody actually picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, we we need this now." Um, and uh, so we'll see. We'll see what's next. The other thing I'm really excited about is the Tiger Shark Block 4, which is our our total redesign of the existing Tiger Shark that NASC has been flying for years. And uh, I have confidence it's going to be a truly superior airframe and uh, give it even more capability, but still be within the same classification, basic, same basic size, um, same basic um, gross weight, but it'll have better useful load. Um, a lot, a lot of just much more favorable attributes than the current Tiger Shark. Hmm. A lot of potential, a lot of exciting uh, things that could really uh, take off on that stuff. Yeah, and there's there's so much of that stuff, and you know, I I get excited talking about these things and get excited working with these things, and it seems like 
um, it's a it's a bit schizophrenic. You know, we're uh, we'll, we'll have a you know a lot of times we'll have a proposal that somebody wants and we'll, we'll put some time into it. And we'll get all excited and then you know hurry up and wait and nothing happens with it. But you know, like John likes to say, we're farmers. We've got we've planted a lot of seeds and we're just seeing what grows. We're seeing what we can harvest. And I think we've really um, in all the work that we've done all the initial investigations, engineering studies, proposals that we spent time on, especially with Sonics Aerospace, um, we've got a really great portfolio um, that uh, we're ready to act on as soon as somebody's ready to pay us for it. And so um, I'm really excited about the future of, of all of that. Well, Mark, I have just uh, one final area that I'd like to ask about, and that is uh, transition training. So we had a, a really good discussion uh, during Air Venture with the foundation talking mm-hmm. about a way ahead for uh, for pilots that need transition training on their on their new Sonics. We, we understand the reasons why the, the factory backed away from T-Flight and the difficulty in getting insurance and CFIs to do that. But have you, have you given any thought as to how um, – how there might be a solution going forward. Maybe that's a contract solution like, like Bob Carlton does for the subsonics or something along that line. A- anything you'd like to talk about on there? I would love to set up a contract situation um, like that. Um, and the, the, you know, the, the issue there is just finding the right partner for it and someone who's actually interested in doing it. Um, it's not a huge money maker. Um, uh, Especially because you know transition training at this point in experimental aircraft is limited in what you can actually do. You know you can't offer any time towards a rating or endorsement of any kind, that sort of thing. Of course, that being said, I would never give somebody a tailwheel endorsement in the Sonics because they they might master the Sonics, but they'd be woefully unprepared to go fly a Cub or something. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I'd love to see that happen. Um, I've been talking about transition training for a long time in uh, both, um, you know, EAA uh, safety committee on which I, I participate and an aircraft kit industry association. Um, you know, I, we need more CFIs out there doing it. Unfortunately for private CFIs, uh, especially it just doesn't make financial sense because the insurance is so expensive. Um, and, uh, and so even for a flight school, um, to do it, um, they have to they have to find a way forward to make some money. So uh, the FAA is looking at potentially loosening up those regulations a little bit. Um, and actually, they're looking at a lot of things with regard to experimental, um, a lot of kind of interesting things. Um, I won't get into them now because you know I don't want to get anybody too excited until we actually have some things uh, that the FAA is willing to publish, but. Um, there is some really exciting prospects and, um, because everybody knows that experimental is the, the, the largest, uh, growth area in aircraft, uh, aircraft, uh, registrations. Okay. Um, that's, that, that's an undisputed, you know, fact, uh, for a long time. And so EAA and FAA, uh, and, and other organizations, they, they know that experimental is the future, but, uh, will it be the exact same model that we see today with amateur built? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think we're going to, we, we stand to gain a lot more freedom with what we can do, more freight freedom with what we can do as a company. Um, 
and uh, and we'll see we'll see where that goes. So so bottom line is if uh, if the FAA decides someday that a flight instructor can give uh, hours to a student uh, for hire um, towards let's say their for pilot certificate or private pilot certificate. Then I think that'll really open it up in terms of the number of people who are really interested in, you know, offering this service using an experimental airplane like a Sonics. Um, right. Certainly, there's nothing preventing a CFI from giving you your flight instruction towards your your, your uh, sport pilot or your private in in a Sonics, but they can't charge you to rent that aircraft. And so you'd have to either own the airplane personally and have the instructor come fly your airplane, that sort of thing. And that's what we're talking about here is. Um, the LOTA, the Letter of Deviation Authority, um, is what allows flight instructors to charge for use of the experimental aircraft. Uh, that's the commerce end of things. That's, what's, that's what makes it worthwhile for them to do this. And um, there's just too many restrictions on that right now. And, uh, you know, hopefully we see that get, get opened up. Yeah, and then just, um, I guess, to round out that piece of it, uh, the foundation is working on providing a, a training curriculum that is packaged and ready to go so that a, a, a member of the foundation can take this, print it out, go to their local CFI, and then go get comparable aircraft training with a, a, a factory-approved syllabus that prepares them to go fly their Sonics. It's not a perfect solution, but it's a step in the right direction. Well, it is a step in the right direction, and it's a, and it's a solution that's been working for a very, very long time. And that's a big part of my frustration with this whole situation, is that although as good as transition training is, um, there's nothing really all that difficult about flying a Sonics. And so and, uh, until the insurance companies really started pushing this as a mandatory requirement, um, people were doing that all the time, getting stick time in a Sonics without a CFI and getting pretty well prepared to go fly a Sonics or going and getting formal transition training from a CFI and something that's more available in larger numbers like an RV, for instance. And um, that's, I think, I think important thing for people to realize is that um, they're not as, restrict, as restricted as they think that they are. Um, what, what, the real problem here is that it's the EAA insurance plan, and specifically Falcon. Most of their everybody wants to go with them. They have really good rates and really good coverage. We insure with them now as a as a business. Um, but um, part of the reason that they are able to offer such good rates is that they have a higher standard uh, of accepting um, customers of writing policies and that is includes the mandatory um, transition training thing and um, if you go to Avemco for instance um, also very good coverage more expensive of course um, but very very high quality coverage um, they don't require that uh, they'll take stick time with uh, somebody else who's not a CFI in their Sonics they'll accept that or they'll accept CFI time in a similar handling type aircraft like a Grumman Yankee or a uh, or a, or a Vans RV. More like more cases than that, not more likely. Um, and, and so that's what we did for years, for the last twenty years, um, when when before this whole transition thing, training thing became a, a thing. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, had people successfully transitioning to the airplane and, and, and a high degree of safety. Um, 
and uh, I think that it's it's you know as much as I love uh, in, you know things that increase safety like transition training, I think that almost a, 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 an overemphasis has been put on it, mostly because. Falcon really kind of owns the experimental insurance market right now because they're the EAA plan and they're the ones saying you have to do this with the CFI. Well, I guess we'll just kind of keep monitoring the situation and uh, and keep working. Yeah, and for anyone who feels like they're really stuck, I, I I would encourage them to go to our website and go to the insurance page of our website, and we have Falcon listed, of course. Um, but we also have a Vemco listed and we also have first flight insurance group listed. And that's a really good opportunity for someone who is having a little trouble getting insurance or they're having trouble finding a CFI, but they can go, uh, it's easy for them to go get some flight time in a Sonics with somebody uh, who's not a CFI. Um, you can, uh, with uh, stick time in a Sonics or transition training or even just stick time without a CFI in a similar handling type aircraft, you can get a policy with First Flight Insurance. They are the USUA plan, uh, Ultralight Inch Association plan. Um, they've recently expanded actually to the full 1320 LSA. So now the Xenos motor glider can be included because it's over what their original gross weight limitation is. Um, and so you can get third-party liability only insurance. Now people will say, well, that means my, my passenger isn't covered. True. Um, I can't buy hull insurance. Yes. Also true. But the idea is you go insure with them for your phase one, uh, do your first flights, do your, do your flight testing. And, uh, and, um, you know, you built the airplane. So from a hull insurance perspective, if you built it, you can rebuild it, and materials shouldn't be that expensive. Um, if you walk away from it such that you can rebuild it, you're, that's that's victory right there. Um, so, you know, do that for your for your phase one, and by the time you've got the flight test period done, uh, you've got plenty of hours for Falcon to take you, and you can start a policy with them. Well, Mark, on my least my most recent experience with dealing with insurance is my second experimental is it really doesn't require that many hours. Most of the insurances I were finding were in the, in the range of five to 10 hours yeah. of time and make and model. So someone doesn't really have to do the full 40 hours of a phase No, they one. certainly don't. No, they certainly don't. That's very true. Um, you know, phase one might not be 40 hours for, for forever for the foreseeable future either. That's another thing we've been working on, which is task-based phase one. Sure, um, we always know it's already reducible to 20 if you had a certified engine put in. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what I've been telling people is um, when you're ready to fly, if you can't find a, a solution, go make a friend. Call up a Sonics friend in a, in a nearby city. Go meet them on the weekend, buy them lunch, go fly their airplane. Uh, they can legally log that as pilot and command time if they're flying the airplane. That's not a that's not a gotcha. That's that's the regs. Yeah. And when you report to the insurance company that you have 10 hours time and type, they're not going to ask any more questions than that. You're just going to re report truthfully. You're good to go. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's very true. And I think, like I said, as, as wonderful uh, uh, for safety as, as true transition training is, and I don't want to take away from that, I do think that people have gotten a false sense that now they're backed into a corner because we don't offer T-Flight anymore at the factory. And that's just simply untrue. Well, good. Um, I, I guess that's everything on my list. Uh, John, I'm just going to kick it over to you. Uh, what, what did we miss? Well, I, you know, Besides trying to pin Mark down on some of the uh, the juicier parts that we wanted to get into, 
which I understand, you know, we're not going to get them back if we, if we do that. <laughs> um, I like to, I, le- I, I really like the fact that you've said, um, that the, the company seems very healthy. You've got a lot of back orders. Um, it's going to impact my kit delivery, which is good for you, but bad for me. <laughs> it won't be um, that. <laughs> <laughs> Conversion kit's a pretty easy one to get together and ship quickly. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'm a lot more optimistic about the future of the Sonics company, and uh, I, I'm really hoping that uh, you, you pull it all together and you, uh, you continue on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thanks, and and you know, I, it's 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 incredibly important to me. It's been my life for 15 years, uh, as well as many as everyone you know that I I work with, especially those of us who've been around a while. Um, you know, there's no question that we've had some hard times. Um, you know, 2015 was a, uh, I guess you call it a black swan, and very difficult. And certainly it had something to do with being slow for a while too, not just the overall economy. It's really tough. And, uh, but things are really feeling good turning around. We're, we're really committed to making Sonics a better company. And we always have been, uh, we continue to be committed to it every day. And that's, I guess, something I want to touch on too, which is just overall customer service. Um, you know, because we have a small staff, um, when we get really busy, like for instance, right now, uh, we are going through just a pile of just processing orders from the last several weeks. And so I know there have been some folks with um, even just small part service orders that have been expressed a little frustration that it's taking a little longer than it should. And, and I, I, I apologize on behalf of the company and I, and I thank everyone for their patience. This just goes part of the territory with having a small staff and, um, you know, we, everyone, or most people know that, you know, the business model for Sonics since day one has been to um, not uh, overinvest in overhead so that uh, we can be flexible and we can stick around for the long haul. And that's the most important thing is that we continue to run the business in such a way that we'll have a business tomorrow to support your kit that you buy today. And that's, that's number one on the uh on the mission list for us in running the business okay gary well i certainly appreciate you coming back on again i think you give us a wealth of information uh, as far as past and and, and future of the company uh, I, it's been a great airplane to fly just always enjoy flying the sonics it's just a hoot and uh we're just glad you guys are doing well we just want you to stay in, stay in business and keep us all happy yeah yeah, it's, it is a great airplane. It is a hoot, and um, we're working all the time to make it better and come up with other new cool things. Um, I, I gotta say, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> the list. Oh boy, um, there's been some threads lately. Um, I know you guys sometimes review current threads on on um, <laughs> SonicsBuildersDebt.net as part yeah. of your show. Um, there's been some threads in the last couple of days about. Um, you know, people just trying to take the airplanes and turn them into things that they're not. Um, and I, I understand it's experimental. People are trying to do all the stuff, and they're free to do it, and that's that's the freedom we have under experimental. But um, I just got to say, you know, if when you when you decide on an airplane design, you fall in love with it, like a One X, let's say, or a Xenos, to call out two other threads specifically within the last week. Um, you know, the airplane's designed to do something very specific. And 
So folks out there that are trying to just completely change, and I'm not talking minor modifications, but completely change the face of what this airplane, uh, what they what they want the airplane to do. Um, you know, you, you just, I think the airplanes um, sometimes suffer in terms of um, in other people's minds that are maybe listening to some of these folks a little too much. Uh, you know, the airplane's reputation can suffer because if, if you keep the airplane uh, the way that we design, it does what it's supposed to do really well. Uh, if you start loading it up with all kinds of stuff that it wasn't ever designed to have, um, that's when you hear people talking about, well, it needs this and it has to have that. And boy, it, had, it really needs more power. Well, no kidding. That's because you added all kinds of weight to the airplane. Of course, it needs more power. Well, then you need more fuel. Well, no kidding. You have a you have a huge engine now that sucks a lot more gas. So yeah, the original fuel cell is not going to be appropriate. So those kinds of things um, that um, uh, you know that uh, well, it just drives me a little crazy. Mark, <laughs> you know, you know, all pilots need more power. It doesn't make a difference what you fly. Sure, of course, you can never have enough power. But you know, let's keep in mind that the Sonics was designed, uh, as all of John's airplanes, to leverage um, small engines very efficiently because every unit of horsepower has a direct correlation to money coming out of your wallet, oh, whether sure. that be fuel costs or just simply acquisition costs. <laughs> the engine or maintenance of the engine so that's the mission here uh is to have an airplane that with great performance that, sh that doesn't cost any more than a nice new car but i think yeah. if you come out with a little simple compact jado unit that we can attach to the side <laughs> of the sonics <laughs> i think you'd get a lot of orders for that one <laughs> yeah we might have some darwin award winners too i gotta keep some risk we gotta keep risk management in the uh, planning model somewhere those are all really good comments, and um, I agree. Um, you kind of need to be honest about the mission that you're going for and choose the right airplane for your mission. But it may, maybe just to kind of round out the discussion, um, I, I always try to give people the, the benefit of the doubt, um, sure. assume noble intent. And uh, I think a lot of these people, they really are enthusiastic about the the plane, the product, the performance. They just um, they they get they get carried away, and they just they want to take it to the next level. They want to go to that extra little bit. Right. So again, assuming noble intent, I, I think a lot of it is just general enthusiasm. What I would offer up to other builders out there is. Be aware of the second and third order effects. When you start speculating on this and you start complaining, people see that and, and that can have an undermining effect. So where you started from having a really positive, enthusiastic starting point, it quickly takes a negative turn and you have an undesired effect. So that's my caution to everybody about, uh, you know, thinking aloud on some of these topics. Well, and if you actually uh, undertake some of these um, some of these ideas that you have, um, you, you have to, and I've heard you talk about it, Jeff, on many occasions, you, you, you end up with unintended consequences and things don't, you know, a lot of times don't turn out the way that you intended. Um, people even making the smallest of modifications, um, don't realize what the trickle down effects are going to be. Um, one modification begets another just to make the first one work properly. And, uh, so there can be a huge impact, um, on that sort of thing. 
Well, I think a lot of it's just evolution, you know. None of us, you know, very, I don't think there's hardly any of us anymore that, you know, are still in the very first house we ever bought or ever leased or the very first car. Things evolve and your needs evolve over time, too. I think a Sonics is an absolutely perfect little plane uh, to begin your flying and aviation career in. But, you know, if there's some time down the road that you find that you need the, you know, the six passenger sedan, you know, that uh, or station wagon, then true, Sonics might not be your, your, your best option and it might be time to evolve into something different. But. Absolutely. Um, I, I can't agree with that more. And uh, we, we encourage people to, uh, to think about what kind of flying they really want to do when they're shopping for their next uh, experimental aircraft or their next aircraft period. Uh, we get so many people who will call up and say, well, I'm, it's, it's down between you guys and uh, like a, a CN 750. What? <laughs> you know, and that's because they're very similar priced projects. And so uh, I think people have to look beyond the price and think about what do I want to do with the airplane when it's done. And unfortunately, some of us really don't know until we actually get in and we do spend some time and years into it. And again, things just yeah. evolve. Yeah, I mean, if you're truly interested in both types of flying and you're trying having a, having a hard time deciding which one you'd rather do more than the other. I can understand that. Um, but I think, I think all too many people don't, don't think that far ahead. Uh, and they don't think about, well, am I going to be happy with this airplane that only will cruise at, um, 80 or 85 miles an hour, or on the flip side, am I going to be happy that I can't land my Sonics on a gravel bar somewhere? Um, so, you know, that's, those are two extreme ends of the spectrum, but that's, you know what I mean? Oh, just buy them all. Yeah. That's my motto. <laughs> yeah. I also want to make a plug for Carrie Force. Um, for those that don't know, he is the newest Kid Planes Magazine columnist. Um, and his columns will start appearing. I hope I have this right. I think it's the January issue of Kid Planes will start having his, his writing in it. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of, uh, which is the reason I thought of it, a lot of philosophical building advice um, <laughs> about making sure that you're uh, making the right choices and having a good time, um, remembering the reasons why you got into this in the first place before you start getting grumpy with a, uh, with, with a, a kid representative, uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> so really looking forward to it. Kerry's a great writer, and I think he's got a lot of really good advice with both the big picture philosophical stuff and down to the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty. Um, really looking forward to seeing his column uh, take shape over the uh, you know over the coming issues and uh, and see him uh, in the magazine. And uh, for people that don't know Kerry well, um, I'm just going to give him a pat on the back publicly. Uh, Kerry is, is in my opinion, one of the hardest working people at Sonics. He, uh, he's a wealth of information. He's the face of tech support. Uh, he's the guy who has to take an email that comes in in the middle of the night with no pictures and a vague description of a problem and try and really sort out the underlying problem and write it back in a way that, uh, somebody can understand. And that, that is hard to do. And he does a really good job. He may not satisfy everybody on every communication, but uh, I think he does a fantastic job, and, and I can't thank him enough for what he does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, if I could, you know, I wish I could clone him. <laughs> uh, I wish I could, you know, at this point, you know, I wish we could hire more tech support representatives. Um, you know, I do tech 
tech support every once in a while, especially when Carrie is out. And um, and I and I don't I, you know I, I do enjoy it. I just don't have the time to do it. And um, you know, hopefully, with as we're talking about the future of the business, as things grow, we'll able be able to you know those are the kinds of customer service improvements I'd like to make is just more availability um, to to builders uh, in terms of. Uh, getting questions answered in a more timely basis and then getting orders filled on a more timely basis and all of that. Jeff, it sounds like you're the author of a few of those vague emails. Well, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny, but uh, I, I'm sure Carrie's got a file with my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, uh, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, some of these questions are, are hard to answer. Uh, I think that you, you did a great job letting us see things from your perspective. And it's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and uh, just lob grenades at Sonics. Uh, we don't have a full appreciation of what you guys go through on a daily basis. Telling us a little bit about it and all the irons in the fire that you have to manage gives us a better idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell you what, Jeff. I mean, we, we talk, unfortunately, I think the people who... Um, are, the squeaky wheels get get too much attention, uh, whether it be online or you know in an interview like this when we talk about um, supporting our customers. You know, hey, we love our customers. We love you guys. Uh, we love doing business with you. It's part of what makes running this business a pleasure. Uh, we, if there was only one wish we had, it was that the vast majority of satisfied folks would send an email every once in a while to say, hey, just wanted to say having a good time, you know, keep up the good work. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, we, we love working with, with all of you, uh, folks. And, uh, uh, that's, that's a big part of why we're here doing what we do. And, uh, and we're, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we, uh, uh, can continue to be here, uh, working with everybody in the future. And Mark, I'm going to just leave my kind of final thought with this. You guys did a great job hosting all of us builders um, during the open house and then at the booth and, and just continuously, even the, the Subsonics forum late in the week. And for people that, that were there, I think they picked up on this pretty readily. Even though those are some long days, there's a lot of work that goes into opening up and putting on an event like that and just manning the booth and, and getting through the grind of AirVenture. Um, I saw a lot of tired faces hanging around the booth. But it never dulled the enthusiasm. You know, Sonics really kind of has that family feel. And you can kind of see it the way the staff interacts with each other. They really do care about each other. They, they're passionate about the mission. They love working at Sonics. And that enthusiasm really comes across. So even when they're tired and they're worn down from a day in the sun, they, they love being there. They love doing it. And, and that just gives me a, a great amount of satisfaction seeing that, knowing that you guys are going to be around and, and uh, productive for a long, long time. So thanks for that. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, Jeff. And I, I think I like to think that's part of what sets us apart. apart. Um, you know, I like to think that when you walk into our booth, you get a different feeling than when you walk into some of our other competitors' booths. Um, not that they're bad companies are bad people but you know i the family thing i mean if uh if we weren't a family before 2015 we sure as hell is our family now and um i actually get a little choked up thinking about it and talking about it actually uh, um it's it's really important to us and um yeah that's uh, that's who we are well um i for one appreciate everything you're doing um please pass along my thanks and gratitude to the whole team at sonics and uh, I look forward to coming up there and, and hanging out with you guys again real soon. All right. 
really appreciate you coming on here and walking us through some of the things that Sonics has got going on, giving us uh, some answers to questions that are on everybody's mind. It really is good to hear that you guys are actively engaged and you're busy every day working on new products and supporting existing customers. And that Sonics aircraft really is stable and healthy and continuing to grow and is going to be around for a long, long time. Our next episode is going to feature uh, Leroy Brandt. He's going to tell us all about his B-model conversion and his UL power engine. Leroy's been flying his airplane for a while now, so he's got a good feel for how it compares to his legacy A-model, and he's going to walk us through it. For everybody else, you can visit us on the web at sonicsflight.com. You can find the show notes at sonicsflight.com slash 41, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or you can listen to it right from the webpage using the MP3 file. If you have feedback, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email. You can find the link on the website, or you can send it to feedback at sonicsflight.com. Mark, Gary, John, thanks again. Always a pleasure talking to you guys. You guys have a great week, and fly safely. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Good talking to you again. We'll see you soon. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. night. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Slack podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.